weird bodies are still good bodies. You don't have to feel like you have to change what you were given just because it doesn't fall into other people's idea of normal. Not for your partner, not for medical professionals, not for anyone other than yourself, and only if you want to. That is up to you. Hey, it's Jasmine, and you're listening to I Wish Someone Told Me, a podcast on sex from an Asian perspective, or from those who have lived or are currently living in Asia. On today's episode, I will be speaking to Nicole, who was born with a unique reproductive organ, or rather, organs, a condition that affects less than 5% of women and vulva owners globally. We spoke about her traumatic experience with doctors and romantic partners and how those experiences, whilst traumatic, empowered her to find her strength and courage to take control of her mind, body, and most importantly, sexuality. I hope you're excited! Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of I Wish Someone Told Me. I'm so, so happy that you are here. You're listening. And thank you so much again for for being on the show, listening. I feel like I'm so grateful. And I keep saying listening and listening, but I am grateful. Thank you so much for being here. So a huge development. And I think I just wanted to put this in. I just changed my name on Instagram. And I want to let you guys know I went from Oh Hey Miss King and now I am Jess explains. So go find me on Instagram, hashtag uh, at Jess explains. And yeah, if you want juicy, juicy stories and sex education for adults, there you go. Go to that page. Today, I have someone very, very interesting and very, very special, Nicole. Um, Nicole is a follower of mine on Instagram, and I posted something about abortion, about safe abortion, which she commented, and we had a really beautiful discussion about her life story and what she is going through. She has a very interesting anatomy, and I won't go so much into what the interesting thing is, but I just want to quickly say hello to Nicole. Nicole, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. How are you? I am good. It's Chinese New Year today. We're recording on Chinese New Year Day. This is what I call dedication. Thank you so much, Nicole, for being here. They dedicated. <laughs> yeah, because I'm Chinese. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, please introduce to everyone, uh, who are you? Where are you from? And yeah, who are you? Where are you from? Um... Okay. Well, my name is Nicole and I am Malaysian, born and raised on Penang Island. And uh, what do I do? I do quite a lot of things, actually. I'm a little bit of a jack of all trades. Uh, I have a lot of different interests, but a big passion of mine has always been the importance of sexual literacy and sexual positivity amongst young people. And uh, it just so happens that I have two vaginas. Oh, there you go. See, I love that you say that because I'm like, I am hoping she says it. I don't want to say it because I'm just like, how do I say this? But thank you so much for saying it. Uh, yes, you have two vaginas. When she told me, I was like, holy shit, tell me more. I literally like had a Zoom chat with you, right? I'm like, please talk to me. I'm like, I feel like such a creep because I'm like, talk to me. Hello. <laughs> Um, so, so you told me that, uh, what you have, the anatomy that you have, you said two vaginas, it is called Mullerian anomaly, which is 
a rare anomaly that occurs in the female reproductive organ. What does that mean exactly? And how did you found out that you had it? Okay, so, okay, Malarian anomaly is a little bit of a tongue twister. I believe it's a German scientist named Mullerian. It's like the U with the two dots on top. So for that reason, sometimes I'll just abbreviate it to MA. So how did I find out that I had my Mullerian anomaly, aka MA? Well, I was a really curious kid growing up, and I've always been drawn to sex and sexuality. So... From a pretty young age, I was already exploring my body and my sexuality. Plus, I was a really voracious reader and I devoured every bit of information I could get my hands on. So I guess it was just that I found out with my own hands and maniacal Google search abilities at the age of 14. I mean, I was really familiar with my body at the time. But the thing is, because I was raised Christian, penetrative masturbation was something off limits for me for a long time. And it was only around when puberty hit, that with periods and tampons, and I guess a healthy dose of religious questioning, let's just say, that I decided that maybe I should get to know myself a little deeper, if you get my drift. (laughs) So, I mean, as soon as I could stick a finger up there, I knew something was a little off. Like, I knew very well the female anatomy, and I knew we had a pee hole, and we had a butthole, and the vagina sits somewhere in the middle I mean, okay, so I guess this is a good time to explain to people who are trying to imagine what this looks like. It's not like I have a double-headed dragon down there. It looks exactly the same as a normal vulva, uh, just with one set of labia. Um, But the difference is once you're inside, there is a thin wall separating my vagina. So I mean, at 14 years old and like feeling this out, my first thought was like, okay, I'm a virgin. Is this my hymen? But the thing is, I knew that a hymen was supposed to be horizontally across your vagina, not vertically like what I was feeling. So I was like, why do I have this weird hymen? Digging around on the internet, I came to the conclusion that I had what's known as a vaginal septum. Similar to the septum that you have separating your nose holes on your face, the same can occur inside your vagina when your reproductive organs don't fuse properly together when you're developing as a fetus. So this is a congenital condition, something that you're born with. And so at least finding this out, I felt somewhat validated, uh, even though it's a pretty rare thing. I mean, at least I wasn't alone. When my mom went to do a routine checkup with her gynecologist, I brought it up to her that maybe it was time for me to get a checkup too. And and before that, did your, uh, does your mom know that you your discovery of like your body before the gynae checkup? Um, My mom has always been really open-minded with me. I did tell her that I think something's a little different down there. And okay, this is where it gets a little interesting. Because we were very, uh, I wouldn't say devout, but we would go to church every Sunday. And there was this preacher that came one time who was also a doctor. And Before I could actually uh, convince her to take me to the gynae, she was like, okay, what is my daughter talking about? She might be a bit crazy. She's saying she has like the septum and maybe like there are two holes. Like what the heck? Shy of like, you know, investigating herself. So she sent me up to this, the pulpit to to get prayed for. If it's something weird and it's something that could affect my life negatively, she wanted, you know, it to be taken care of so she asked me to go get prayed for that by this preacher and as soon as I went up there I didn't know what to tell him 
so I just said, hey, uh, I, I think I have something like two vaginas. And I remember the sort of strange look on his face as soon as I said that. He took it that I was lying in some way, like I had some ridiculous fantasy. I mean, if, if you were raised Protestant, you probably have the experience of going up to the altar and getting prayed for. I was basically almost exercised for having the idea in my head that I had uh, a, a two vaginas. That put me in, a, in quite a strange state, uh, you know, co- going into telling people about this in the future. And, but other than that, my mom was super supportive. And when we got, uh, we got confirmed by the, by the doctor that this is a real condition, then, you know, she's been 100% with me ever since. When you went to the doctor, what did, what did the doctor do? Did the doctor sort of, um, kind of check your, the, the, like, you know, like with your, your vulva and your vagina did he or did the doctor or she doesn't know who um don't know who um is there a scan or like how does it how's the checkup like i'm so curious because you were 14 right that time yeah i was 14 years old so i remember going in and telling this doctor okay and of course right now i'm really timid given what had happened and i say okay i have i think i have a vaginal septum just playing it safe i don't want to think about like if it's one vagina, two vagina, just something in the middle, I have a vaginal septum. And the, ske- the skepticism on her face that a 14-year-old could, you know, look on the internet and self-diagnose was just, she was not having it. I mean, I guess WebMD wasn't a thing in 2004. But anyway, she put me in the stirrups and I'm lying back and I actually use my fingers to show her what I'm talking about. My mom already told me like, okay, this doctor that I go to, I've gone to her for many years. She's not like, the most, she doesn't have the best bedside manners, let's just say, you know, but like I trust her so you can go and see her. I just wait for her to confirm and she says, okay, yes, there is a septum, but she wants to do an ultrasound. So, okay, I'm laying there and I'm, it's, I mean, if you've ever been to the gynae, it's an awkward experience all around. So I'm laying there wondering why she wants to do this ultrasound since, you know, that's where my research had ended and, you know, clearly my self-diagnosis was accurate and I can just go home. But Man, little did I know. So being 14, gynees don't usually enter the vagina on young girls or quote-unquote unmarried virgins unless necessary. So so no speculums or those dildo-looking transvaginal ultrasounds. She just gets a regular abdominal ultrasound scanner and plops a bunch of that freezing cold KY jelly on my lower abdomen and she starts to scan. Um she starts typing a lot. And again, she's not saying anything to me and I'm wondering what's going on. She's plotting a lot of markers on the ultrasound and the nurse is like popping in and out. And I just, you must be really scared. It it was, it was weird, but I had never had any of this before. So I'm like, was your mom in a room with you? Um, my mom was in the room, but she was on the other side of the curtain. So she couldn't see what was going on. I just, I I was just waiting. Like it's my first experience. I didn't know what to expect. Right. So at some point she stops and then she prints out the little sheet and she tells me, okay, look, oh, sorry. No, she's showing me on the screen. So she tells me what the septum is, is actually a vaginal wall, although it's a thin one. So it does mean that I have two separate vaginas. And so like I'm processing this and she shows me where she's marked on the screen, two separate cervixes that the vaginas actually lead to. And then beyond that, 
two complete and separate uteruses. So what I have technically is a condition called uterus didelphis under the umbrella of Mullerian anomalies. So like I described, it means there's, that there's two of everything. It's uh, congenital, so like I said, you're born with it. Most women won't actually find out that they have it until they have sex or they're looking to have a baby. There are a number of malarian anomalies that describe you know, various other uterine malformations. So some uteruses, instead of separating completely like mine, they kind of look like a heart shape. They're like, like when two cells are dividing. Um, so that's called a bicornate uterus. Some are lopsided, meaning that they only attach to one fallopian tube. So that's called a unicornate uterus. Yes, your uterus can be a unicorn. And some have a septum inside the uterus, and that's called a septate uterus. So most of these conditions will still lead to one cervix and one vagina. In fact, you can have two uteruses and still one vagina, but that's not the case for me. I think it's estimated between 4 to 10% of women have malarian anomalies, but it's hard to estimate because it goes undetected so often. I mean, for the type of malarian anomaly that I have, which is the uterus adelphus, it's 0.1 to 0.5 of women. I mean, this is according to Wikipedia. Um, so take that as a grain of salt, you know. Um, but that just kind of makes me, like, really special. <laughs> That does make you really, really special. I mean, when you told me about it, I was just like, holy shit, you know, I've, I only read about these things, right? Like, I'm only like, you know, I've never, I've never met anyone who has it. I only read about it. So I'm just like, she is a very fascinating person to interview, to be on the show. So I am so happy <laughs> that you're here to sort of also raise awareness too. It's like having an interesting story is one thing, but like really raising awareness about what you know women or just people in general can potentially go through with something that you don't even know like it's within your body you wouldn't know what's inside your body unless you actually you know have a ultrasound scan right like you wouldn't know um I wanted to ask you this question because when we were talking on Zoom last time, you told me, you mentioned that you visited a few doctors across, you know, years after that, I suppose. And all of them suggested that they can fix it, quote unquote, fix it so that you would have a normal uterus and a normal vagina. But you didn't want to do that. So my question is, why didn't you want to do that? So I've seen about five different gynecologists here in Penang in total. And each of them have given me very different stats. Some have handled various types of malarian anomalies. Um, between like three to ten cases a year is what some have told me. So for them, they're kind of chill about it. Like, all right, this is a thing that happens. But there are some others that have never seen it in person. So I do think that many doctors approach physical abnormalities as something that needs to be fixed. And I don't believe that should always be the case. Like, if it doesn't affect your everyday functioning, why change it? In my case, having two vaginas has actually served me well, at least in the sexual department. I can't say if I'm lucky or normal for a person with UD, uterus adelphus, because there just is so little data available. Both my vaginas and uteri are well-formed, and it means that I have two G-spots and two different sensations of pleasure throughout the vaginal canals. So why the heck would I want to reduce it to just one? 
Some women with this condition have smaller vaginas that make penetration difficult or painful. So they might want to get their septum resected, which is to surgically remove it. But for those reasons, I totally understand and I totally respect it if it's your decision. But if a doctor tells you that you need to when you're fine without, and for girls who are diagnosed with this in childhood, I've seen moms in online forums opting to make that decision for them, and I just cannot support that. I've had a pretty harrowing experience when I was 17, and I visited one particular gynae who told me mid-examination if I wanted to quote-unquote fix it by cutting away the septum on the spot. She starts describing the procedure and how it wouldn't be too complicated, but bear in mind, I'm in stirrups, and I have a speculum in me, and her fingers are poking me all in there, and like, I mean, it's an extremely vulnerable state, obviously, And she starts reaching for the surgical scissors that she's speaking. And I just, I had to yell, no, 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 no. And shut my thighs and wave my feet around to get her to stop. So, I mean, I think at this point I decided, because at this point I just had only seen female gynees. You know, I thought maybe female gynees aren't that much better than male ones. So I went to see, uh, this is why I started exploring other gynees. And I went to see a male gynee for a couple years and he was really respectful. It was such a relief. This is obviously not the case for all of them. But I mean, in fact, my current gynee is a woman. But suffice to say, I was a little bit traumatized and I just needed a, a switch. Um, for anyone who is listening right now who might not have seen a gynee yet, I don't mean to scare you because it's really important to go and get checked up. But a gynae visit can be really sensitive and emotional for many people, and I suggest you take your time to get to know your gynae during the first initial consult to get to know them as a person before you drop your pants. Nobody ever explains this process of going to see one, much less what you're looking for. So be sure to ask them questions, tell them in detail about your body and sexual history, and just see how they react. If you ever feel uncomfortable or not taken seriously in any way, you can get out of there. Don't feel obligated to continue with the whole appointment. A hundred percent. Completely agree. I agree. It's it's just so interesting when you said that, like, I think she just thinks that it's a problem. That's why you kind of came in. That is a problem that you needed fixing, especially if you've already visited other gynae and probably in her head, it's like, oh, the other gynae cannot fix it. So I'm going to fix it for, for her. Uh, probably she came in with that but like did really like you know have a conversation with you do you want to remove do you not want to remove but you're only 17 you're very young it's very easy and you know and then you just suddenly can you like i cannot imagine mid mid like your legs open everything vulnerable everything showing and it's like ah, i got scissor i can cut it <laughs> it's <pretty> scary <laughs> Yeah, that was exactly what happened. And it's it's really terrifying because, you know, at 17, I didn't have the vocabulary or the the communication skills to even tell her, like, look, this is this is why I want to keep it. I want to keep it because I believe it's it's a integral part of who I am. And also, like, I get off on it. This is like good for me. So how do you explain your your sexual desires to a gynae at 17 when they look at you as an unmarried virgin and you shouldn't be having sex, you know? This is the issue with a lot of, I guess, I mean, not everyone, but I mean, we do this, we do hear stories about medical practitioners, right? Who will say certain things that just makes um, reproductive health or like people who are seeking for some sort of, you know, taking care of their body. Like, I mean, with I, I knew a friend, 
who wanted to have the IUD inserted. Yeah, she wanted to have some sort of like the birth control. Mm -hmm. And then she went to a government hospital because it was cheaper. That's why she went there. And then the government hospital, the doctor was just like, are you sure you want this? Um, If you do want it, great. But can you have your husband to sign a form? Oh, wow. To say that, like, you want to do this just too. And then she's just like, I, um, I'm I'm, I'm, unmarried. Like, oh, then we can't do it because we need, like, uh, your husband's consent because you can't have it. If you... And I was just like, fuck, really? And so she went to, she ended up going to a private uh, clinic. No questions asked. Of course, she has to pay way more more but it's you know experiences like this that really will deter you from seeking you know medical attention i mean i'm just happy that yeah i'm just happy that you found you found someone who is respectful and you know checking in with you and yeah this is the crazy part because i mean they're literally treating your uterus as a object that belongs to a man her non-existent husband in this case you know, like you can't make your own decisions. I have asked Guyanese to uh, basically I would be interested in tying my tubes because I don't I don't plan ever to have children. And in a sense, this condition also makes it difficult for me to have children should I want it. Uh, but I've always been 100 percent like like I don't want children, <laughs> you know, so uh, at 28, I believe. So I asked them if this is a, a, a procedure that I could opt for. And they were like, nope, you're under 30 and you are still fertile. You are not allowed to choose this for yourself until maybe like 45 or something like that. Holy shit. It's crazy. Yeah. I guess in a way, like for a lot of these doctors, for permanent for permanent procedures, I mean, they don't want to have you like come back five years later and be like, oh, please, you know, my... <laughs> my my eggs are crying out and I really need you to reverse it and it's irreversible. So maybe maybe they want to cover themselves. But I mean that that uh what you said earlier about the contraception, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I I was really surprised. I'm just like Ah, this is how um, this is why people don't want to go to to see doctors and, and stuff, which really sucks. Um, oh, I wanted to ask you this. Okay, so I guess this is like a question that. I suppose all of our listeners will, you know, wanting to ask. And it is about how do you navigate sex with your partners? Did you face any problems with sex? Is it a challenge? Because you were saying earlier, like, it, if anything, what you're having is actually a, an advantage. So how do you navigate that? How do you navigate sex? So, I mean, having two vaginas is a pretty novel idea to most men. And that that's a pretty interesting topic to bring up when the occasion arises. For me, like I mentioned, it's 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 inter- it's good for me. It's I can't even say it's interesting because to me it's just normal. But uh, I guess to to guys it is interesting. But where it gets a little bit complicated is um, so when I was with my first boyfriend in my teens, we were really inexperienced. I guess thanks to things like porn, we believe that you know, the idea of harder, faster, stronger sex was supposed to mean better sex. But I know now that this is not the case, obviously. Still, like, in one of those particularly rough sessions, he thought it would be a good idea to pull out completely and then re-enter from a few inches away. And it worked well a couple times, but then something went wrong and suddenly he was on the floor in so much pain he couldn't speak. I was, I was panicking. 
And I was just like, oh my God, what's going on? Are you okay? In my shock, I didn't realize that his dick had actually landed right in the middle of my septum wall. Sorry, my septum wall. And basically bent him. So it was like he was hitting a solid, you know, a solid piece of flesh. So, I mean, he was in a lot of pain, but when he eventually came round, that's when we realized that I was bleeding heavily. So what actually happened that day was my septum got torn. And the stuff that followed that incident became one of the hardest points in my life because I had to deal with recurring infections due to the tear and all while not being able to explain to anyone what was happening. Being a teenager, having to secretly attend my doctor's appointments without my parents' knowledge. I also didn't have a driver's license at the time, so I had to have my friends drive me, uh, covering all my own medical bills. On top of that, like my boyfriend basically ghosted me after he could not have sex with me anymore. And then I found out he was cheating all along. So I was completely alone, and I didn't think that I could ever have sex again. I felt really broken and I felt unwanted, totally alone. Not to mention the earlier story about uh, the doctor who tried to cut away my septum. That happened during this period when I was trying to ask if I could get it fixed. And she was like, why do you want to get it fixed? I can just take it all away. Oh man, that, that was a really tough time. So now when I have new partners, I have to explain this whole crazy story to them. It's like, I have two vaginas and they get like, oh, that's cool. What? And then I have to be like, hang on, hang on. So this is what happened to me. And now it's sort of like broken. And because I'm terrified of it tearing again, I have a significant amount of trauma anytime the septum gets hit. It's like a bit of a roller coaster mindfuck, to be honest. And I used to cry anytime the septum got hit during sex. It is the least sexy feeling in the world. And I still feel really sad about it, that I can't feel the same way that I did before. And that same way is, is a kind of mix of like feeling um, like there's no low-key worry or fear in the back of my mind that you can just fully let go and enjoy. But also that the uh, certain, I won't go into details, but it just, it does feel a bit different. So I feel like I've lost out on that. But, you know, that being said, I've had very understanding partners who have done their best to make sure that they aim correctly now, um, because now it's always like, are you going left or are you going right? And we have to have this little bit of a like funny, awkward conversation, like mid-sex. But it's, t- it's taken me so much time to come to terms with what I have to deal with. And honestly, I still hope that one day I can reconstruct my septum to, to how it was originally. I know it's a confusing request for doctors especially, but like to me, if you can, if you can reconstruct a hymen, why can't you reconstruct this? So I don't know, doctors out there, like get in touch, please. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like exactly what you said, if someone can reconstruct a hymen for like virginity, that is actually not important at all. I'm pretty sure you can do other shit, right? Like we're pretty technologically advanced and medically advanced in that sense. But I wanted to sort of highlight as well that how with a lot of trauma, um, I personally deal with my own trauma and it's very very tough for me to talk about it and when it's tough for me to talk about it I cannot preempt my partner about something and then then I would constantly feel tra- trauma kind of building up because I just I'm not 
I'm afraid to to tell them. I just want to command you to for like to be able to have a proper discussion with your partner and telling him that this is what happened to me and I just wanted to let you know I wanted to like this is my boundary if I do sort of freak out this is what it is um if I'm in my head sometime this is what it is like and it's really an important conversation to have to just sort of hopefully reduce do you feel like it reduce sort of some of the tension and the fear after having conversations like this with your partners oh absolutely i mean i've always been an advocate for brutal honesty like not even like blunt honesty like just brutal just let's get it out of the way the thing is i won't want to pretend like i've you know overcome the difficult aspects of my condition and now my sex life is now fantastic like the condition being A, I have two vaginas and B, now it's broken. I mean, I'm here to say that I'm still working through them. And if I can do that without shame or stigma, so can you. I mean, I've learned that sex and pleasure are totally different things, right? It's it's more these days like about intimacy and sensuality so much more than P and V sex. And if I'm in the right space, the mental space with the right partner, then I can really enjoy it. And so much of that is so important. Communication plays such a huge role. Yeah, that's that's true. Communication plays such a huge role and it definitely will reduce some of the anxiety that you have as well. So that's something very very powerful that I hope that everyone everyone out there listening if you have any type of anxiety like with your partner like I I want to tell them but I don't know how to tell them like just tell them. You just have to sort of figure it out and you know you kind of need to practice over and over again to have that out regarding like uh, just a quick one of pregnancies does the anomaly also mean that it's tougher to get pregnant or is it easier um so because a lot of women only find about find out about the condition when they're trying to conceive uh my experience is that most resources on the topic are centered around pregnancy so yes in a sense it may be tougher not necessarily conceiving but carrying to full term with a malaria anomaly. So and this goes across a spectrum of different different anomalies. So uh conceiving no problem, but miscarriages are more common. So I understand for a lot of women this can be devastating. Um for me though as someone who's never wanted to have a child but has been pregnant, this can be a little frustrating on the other side of the spectrum when I was considering abortion options. So because my cervixes are much smaller than usual, I would have to be under general anesthetic for a surgical abortion. So uh that means dilation and cuterage when they when they actually have to enter your cervix uh surgically to remove the the fetus or the embryo. So that's definitely more taxing and not not to mention more expensive. So I opted to have a medical abortion using pills instead, but You know, I didn't have the community of people with malaria anomalies to relate with or speak to about this because all the all the forums and like Facebook groups that I'm on they they only talk about uh pregnancy. It's all about babies, babies, babies and like I'm I'm trying to do the opposite of that, you know. So I'm honestly wishing that I could find a community of people with malaria anomalies interested in discovering and managing aspects of 
like everything else, like pleasure and sex and just more than just pregnancy. But nobody's talking about that right now. So I guess that's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that you're sharing your story. I like I, I was thinking the other day, the only time we think about our reproductive health is when is when we if our period came out late or if we want to have babies. That's when we start thinking about all these things. But, mm. you know, there's just so many other aspects of like reproductive health that we should look at and, you know, and... It's, it's just as important and you know for women who don't want children as well and how do we go about it I wanted to suggest that maybe you could open your own community like on Facebook or like on your page um, an Instagram page you know it always starts with that one person starting something and you know making so much noise and I'm just like so so happy that like so proud of you for coming in here to share your story um, I think this would be if I'm not mistaken this is the first time you talk about this sort of like in a public platform why do you think it's important to share your story to people oh man I mean I've wanted to come out of the MA closet for ages in hopes that other other women who have this condition can be empowered with the knowledge that they're not alone like like I felt you know but I mean to a much lesser degree because like I like I mentioned I don't really find that positive community so the thing is people with weird uteri aside like I really hope that I can help spread the message about how important it is to get to know your body there are so many points in my story that if I hadn't spent time to explore my own body or learn about my own anatomy, man, things would be so different. You know, I reject the idea that we constantly have to live in shame and fear. I believe that the antidote to fear is through understanding and through gaining knowledge. And once there is no fear, then there is no shame. And we can speak up and we can speak loudly about who we are and what we go through. And that's really how we find our tribe. And that's how we don't have to be alone. And, you know, now with, with so many people getting on board with the body positivity, like weird bodies are still good bodies. You don't have to feel like you have to change what you were given just because it doesn't fall into other people's idea of normal not for your partner, not for medical professionals, not for anyone other than yourself, and only if you want to. That is up to you. I love that. That is, that's perfect. That's perfect. Um, I don't know how you're going to top that off, but <laughs> my last question to you is, what is the one thing you wish someone told you? Oh man, so much. <laughs> so much. But I mean, other than the gynae advice, which I think, oh man, really wish more people knew about that. Other than the gynae advice, I wish someone told me that there is so much more to intimacy than P and V sex. I mean, it can suck. It can really, really suck if you don't have the right partner. And suck not in a good way. I was so excited, I think, when I was younger to be in a relationship and have sex that I didn't think, I didn't think much at all about how the right partner can make or break for me, that's a miserable pun intended. Like, the entire thing, basically. It's, it's not about attraction alone. A huge part of it is having more casual and sensual, but not sexual, not sexual, experiences with different people to gain a better judgment leading up to sex and understanding yourself and your desires, your needs, and what you are capable of bringing to the table 
whether that's in a relationship or even just in the purely physical sense. That's what I wish someone told me. Yes, I'm like clicking. Yes, I don't know if you guys can hear me, but I'm like snapping, snapping, snapping. That is the truth. That is like, oh my God. Like, uh, <laughs> you know what? You know what you should do? You should be like, you should give a talk, man. You should be like on stage and go like, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to fucking inspire you. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like so inspired i'm so alive i hope anyone who's listening to this will be like fuck yeah i'm gonna be 100 that bitch as lisa calls it. <laughs> um i'm so so happy and i'm so honored to have you on the show and thank you so so much for being part of this and uh and also thank you for being on my instagram live we're gonna do that and by then what by the time you guys listen to this uh i will instagram live will already be done but yeah, also on Instagram Live. But thank you so much, Nicole. Thank you. It was such an opportunity to be on here. I really hope that I can maybe from from this, being inspired by you and your platform, I can maybe start a little community. I don't know. Um, why don't you guys hit up Jasmine and see if I should do that? You can and you will. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the show. I Wish Someone Told Me is hosted and produced by Jasmine King with new episodes bi-weekly on Wednesdays. Follow I Wish The Pod on Instagram so you won't miss any updates. And feel free to share your thoughts, reflections, and aha moments from this episode. Catch you later!